0: Today's message is the last half of the final sermon in our series on the book of Haggai. I hope you've enjoyed this series as much as I have. It's reminded me that complacency is the great enemy of God's children. Our discipleship can be destroyed by complacency. It's more often complacency than active sin that causes us problems in life. But also from the book of Haggai, we learn that the remedy for complacency is to start laboring in the service of God. As you know, you ought to. Haggai also reminds us that when we do begin to serve God like we ought to serve Him, it's not long before discouragement arises. And Haggai gave us the remedy for that discouragement as well. He told us to look upward, remember that God is with us. He told us to look inward, deal with the sin in our lives, and stir up the faith that we have received in the new birth. And then finally, He tells us to look forward. And that's the message we're in today. And that's how we'll finish up in the book of Haggai. You see, if we look forward, we'll see that the next great event of history is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes in the world, we're made to be afraid about the second coming of the Lord. But in the scripture, we're told that's something we should be looking forward to with great anticipation. You know why we can look forward to it with great anticipation? Haggai tells us in his last message of encouragement, that God has chosen us. He has chosen us to be with him. He loves us with an everlasting love, and we will be with him forever. Praise his name for that encouragement. And that's the message of encouragement we need today, as we struggle to serve him in a world that is opposed to God and to every one of his children. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. Let's not miss this point. Why is this so important? Now, it's a very awesome display of God's power. Yes. And it is a great lesson in trusting God. Yes. But there's more at work here, beloved, than just God showing that he's God and and helping these Israelites get back to home. Over in the book of Micah, I believe it is, we're told that the prophet there said, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, out of you shall come he that will be the ruler of the nations. You know what that prophecy means? The Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. The Messiah is coming out of the land of of judah the messiah is coming from the line of david from the lineage of david when you read the first chapter of matthew and the third chapter of luke you'll find that both joseph's and mary's lineage goes right through david and by the way Zerubbabel is in that lineage as well you know what god's doing here This isn't just some nice story to talk about how great God is. This is God preparing the very coming of the future Messiah. Those Jews had to be back there. Those Jews had to get back to Judah. It wasn't just, uh, uh, oh, well, let's do this, God said one day. God had prophesied that. God had sent prophets to say that this is where the child will be born. Isaiah says, unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there shall be no end. Now, listen to this upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth even forever. You see what's going on here? The Jews were being chastened. And they had been taken away captive for 70 years. But then God shook the kingdoms of this world. God shook the very earth. And He overthrew the throne of kingdoms to get them back to the place where they needed to be. So that Jesus Christ could be born in the place where it had been prophesied. The rubble, I'm going to take care of things. I will... I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I have all power. And I will have my way among the armies of heaven and the inhabitants of the land. And then look at verse 23. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, saith the Lord, and will make thee as a signet. A signet. A signet was a sign of a covenant. You know, the the old uh, Persian kings would make a writing and they would roll it up in a scroll and they would put the wax on it and then they would, they would put their seal in that. The old kings of England would do that. And when that seal was put on there, that signet was put on there, you couldn't change the laws of the Medes and the Persians. They couldn't even be, even the king himself couldn't undo that. That's not the case with some of the throne rooms and some of the Uh, Some of the laws from some of the kingdoms, but but that signet was a sign of a covenant. And one of the things he's telling Zerubbabel here is is Zerubbabel, I'm a covenant keeping God. I'm a covenant keeping God. Did you know that's that's where our hope lies? Did you know that our hope lies in the fact that God is a covenant keeping God. He is a God who will not go back on a deal. That he has made over in hebrews the sixth chapter he begins to talk about some things here in this chapter about uh god and what he has done and down in verse 13 i want you to listen to this for when god made promise to abraham this is hebrews chapter 6 and verse 13 when god made promise to abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. By the way, that's the gospel of the Old Testament. Galatians chapter 3 tells us that. He said, When he told Abraham, Your seed shall be as the sands of the sea. That's not an earthly promise, that's a heavenly promise. That's, a, that's the good news that I'm going to have a people that I'm going to save that will be as as numerous as the sands of the sea and the stars in the sky. It says, so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For Listen to this now. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. That by two immutable things, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. What's he talking about there? He said, by two immutable things. Do you remember over in the 15th chapter of Genesis when God came to Abraham and said, I'm going to bless you to have a child by Sarah. And he put Abraham to sleep. And while Abraham was asleep, God uh, gave him a vision. Abraham had already taken these various sacrifices and he had cut them up into pieces. He divided them in two and he laid them out there. And then while Abraham was asleep, he had a vision of a burning lamp and a smoking furnace passing between those pieces of the sacrifice. That may be a little bit unusual to us, but in that day... That was a way of making a covenant. That was a way of making a contract. Today we notarize contracts. Thank goodness we don't have to take one of our cows out there and cut him in two and lay him out there and walk between him with our hands, holding hands. But what you were saying when you did that in that old way of doing it is that if I break this covenant, may I be as these cattle are. May I be killed, may I die just like these sacrifices have been killed if I break this covenant. In that covenant, God was saying to Abraham, I am making a covenant with you. I have a covenant with you that if I break this covenant, may I die. Guess what? God can't die. I mean, I know the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross, but I'm talking about he cannot be slain in the sense of an ultimate end to himself. He cannot do that. And secondly, God can't lie. You know there's things God can't do. <laughs> He can't can't lie. He can't deny himself. There's some things God can't do. Praise God. Praise his name. There's some things he can't do. Here he says that there are two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. He said because of that, we can have a strong consolation. And by the way, that hope, that strong consolation for those of us who have laid hold upon the hope set before us, he said, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. You know, I need that sure and steadfast hope. I need that hope that's an anchor of the soul. You know what happens to a child of God that's ignorant of the promises of God? He drifts out there like a ship on the ocean with no anchor and no propulsion, no rudder just tossed by the storms of life. See, the hope we have in the Lord Jesus Christ is what anchors us because the storms of life are coming. If they haven't hit you lately, they're going to soon. The storms of life have hit me. The storms of life will hit you again if they have hit you already. If you're not already in the middle of one, the storms of life will toss you about and you will find no rest and no consolation here. But oh, the hope that is an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast. He says, is a rubbable." I'm a covenant-keeping God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and verse 21, he says, Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God, who hath also sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. You say, what's my, what's my signet today? It's the seal of the Holy Ghost. It's that seal, the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. You know, uh, I, know I know what the world says, and I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be critical and ugly to people out there, but I know what the world says. They'll ask the question, do you know that you know that you know that you're saved? And what they mean by that is, have you done what you need to do in order to secure your salvation? Well, that's no hope to me, beloved. That's no no encouragement to me because I know whatever I've done, I could undo. I know most things that I do, I mess up. I can't remember anything I've done in my life perfectly. God demands perfection. God demands perfectly keeping the law. Have you perfectly kept the law even today? Have you perfectly kept the law since you've been sitting here in church? I'll tell you, beloved, I've not perfectly kept the law for any length of time ever in my life. If nothing else, when you get back on the road, be sure you don't go one mile over the speed limit. Be sure you don't because that's breaking the law. We're supposed to abide by the laws of men, right? You're a lawbreaker. God demands perfection. He says he that had violated one aspect of the law. You may not be a murderer. You may not be a thief. You may not be an adulterer. But if you violated one aspect of the law, you're a lawbreaker. But the good news is, is that the Lord Jesus Christ was the great law keeper. He kept it to a jot and to a tittle. He fulfilled every iota of the law. And he... Saved his people from their sins by keeping the law and dying on the cross. And when people ask, "Do you know that you know that you know?" I have a better one for you. Do you have the blessed hope within your heart that you are one of his children? You say, "Wait a minute, hope and knowledge." No, people. People think hope today. You know, I hope Alabama wins the national championship Monday night. I hope they do. Now, in years past. That hope was a lot more solid than I think it is this year, you know. I'm not going to say it's just a wish, but, but I hope they win, okay? I hope my favorite ball team wins the championship. I hope I get that raise. I hope that this happens and that happens. We're not talking about some fanciful wish. You know what hope is? Hope is a confident expectation. You see, I've got something better than knowledge. I've got hope. And it's based upon my knowledge of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for me. You see, the rubble, I'm a covenant-keeping God. And I've given you a signet here, just like he's given us a signet, the seal of the Holy Spirit. And finally, the most awesome part of the whole transaction and the whole message here. Notice what he says at the end of verse 23. For I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. I have chosen thee. I talked with a preacher some years ago who was of the attitude that the doctrines of grace, while important to study for theologians, are not important to be preached from the pulpit. Some people shy away from the doctrine of election. Some people, when they hear the word predestination, they get anxious. and Some even get angry. They get nervous and they run away from it. Some preachers won't preach it. They say, well, that's the deep things of the word of God. I want to say to you, child of God, that doctrine is the most precious doctrine in the word of God. You know, the gospel's good news. The gospel means good news. And I want to say to you today, the Gospels that we hear out in the world mainly focus upon the sinner and what the sinner must do to avail himself of the salvation in Jesus Christ. Beloved, the true Gospel teaches us what the Savior, it focuses upon the Savior and what He has done to save His people from their sins. That doctrine, he says... He says, Zerubbabel, I've chosen you. You know, I've tried to preach a message recently about the doctrine of election and about how important it is that we understand that there is one who loved us when we were yet unlovable. There's one who didn't just hope and try to make our salvation possible. You know, we don't believe God made salvation possible in Jesus Christ. We believe He made it certain. Praise God, it's not a chance salvation rubbable. if you don't hear anything else I've said, I'm going to leave you with the most important fact of your existence. I have chosen thee. I have chosen thee as a vessel unto me. We're told about the Apostle Paul. He was a chosen vessel unto the Lord. Notice he didn't say, you've chosen me. Notice he didn't say... Well, I looked down through time and saw you'd be a good king and therefore I, I set it up to choose you. Some explain election that way. Oh, but that's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, that's kind of a half-truth. The <laughs> 14th Psalm tells us that God did look down upon the children of men to see if there were any that did serve him, any that, did, that, that loved him, any that... We're good you know what he said they've all gone away they're altogether an unclean thing in Ephesians the first chapter Paul starts us off by exclaiming in verse 3 blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved we often hear about accepting Jesus and accepting His gospel message. Beloved, here's the only accepting we read about in the Word of God that has to do with our eternal salvation. He says, He made us accepted in the Beloved. You say, Preacher, why do you hammer on that? Why do you harp upon that? Because you need to know that, child of God. You need to understand that because the world is a bad place. The world is against you. The devil is against you. Your own flesh is against you. We have three major enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and they're all out to get you. The devil's a roaring lion. The flesh is corrupt and and enmity with God, the carnal mind that you still have even though you're a child of God. The world is nothing but enticements. Ask the prodigal son one day when we get to heaven what the world has in store for you. You know what the prodigal son needed to remember and what he ultimately did remember when he was down there? It's like I can just see him slap his forehead and say, My goodness, here I am down in the hog pen. And I am a child of the king. I'm a child of my father. And my father's got servants in his household that have all they want to eat and more. You know, I don't deserve to be there. I don't deserve to go back home and be with my father. I'll just go back and be A servant. Oh, child of God. Yes, it would be glorious to just be a servant in the household of your father. But I want to tell you something about your father. When you find yourself in the pig pens of this world, when you find yourself at the bottom, scraping the bottom of the barrel, with no hope and no help in this world, and you come to your senses. You come to yourself. And I'm not talking, this. remember that's not a story of him getting born again down there. He was already a child of God. He was already dwelling in his father's house. He took what his father had for granted and he took it out and wasted it on riotous living. And he went down there and ended up in the pig pen. Child of God, you as a child of God can do that if you're not careful. When he's talking about the broad way and the narrow way, he's not talking about the pathway to heaven. He's talking about the way we live here and now. And I'll tell you, that broad way ends ends in destruction every time. When you find yourself down there, you know what will bring you back? Realizing that you have a father who didn't just stand back and say, okay, come get it if you will. Come get it if you want to. You've got a father who from before the foundation of the world loved you with an everlasting love. It's an everlasting love affair. He chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. He sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for you. When He didn't have to, He could have stayed in glory, except that He promised to come down and do this. He loved you so much that He came down and He died for you. And he sent his spirit into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. And one day he's coming back to get you. The rubble, through all this that you're struggling with, through all your problems, you remember one thing. I chose you. I chose you. I've loved you with an everlasting love. And I will bring you home to be with me one day. The epilogue to this story is that in Ezra, we read in the fifth chapter that after they tried to halt the work again, when they restarted the work of the temple, by the grace of God, Darius found the original decree of Cyrus in order not only that the work be allowed to continue, but that it not be hindered and that all those enemies of the Jews help by furnishing supplies and materials and money. Ezra Ezra chapter 6 and verse 12, he said, let it be done with speed. (laughs) Let it be. You think God can't shake the kingdoms? He can't shake the earth and overthrow the throne of kingdoms? Zechariah, who also wrote about this, tells us that the Lord shall yet comfort Zion and shall yet choose Jerusalem. So what's the final conclusion of the matter when it comes to the book of Haggai? I hope, that this series on Haggai teaches us that we should be lifted up. Even when the initial fervor of the revival abates, when the initial fervor of the, the revival subsides, and then we don't see immediately a change in our circumstances. You know, sometimes people, people come to the church and join the church thinking it's going to solve all their problems. Beloved, it's not going to solve your problems. You're still going to have to go to work. You're still going to have to deal with your issues at home. You're going to still have to deal with your, your cancer or your Parkinson's or whatever else, diabetes, whatever else you may have. But you see, in the midst of all that, look upward, look inward, look forward. This should lift us up because the recurring theme of all Scripture and especially this book it's based upon what Christ has done for us. This ought to be a great comfort to us. Don't just go through the motions. Don't just slog away stoically thinking, well, I'll just keep on keeping on. No, praise God. You've got a destination coming. One day, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back. Maybe may be today. In the world, they try to scare you with that. I want to encourage you with that. Every single one of his children will be taken home to be with him. He will not lose one. You won't miss the boat. You won't miss out on what's happening. He will come back because he said he would do it. He said he would save his people from their sins. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. that's zionpbc b c one eight four seven 8 4 7 at gmailcom or you can email me directly at jchrismccool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L-at-gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.